Welcome back to Catchweight, everyone. We have another packed show in store. There is so much to talk about, so much to digest. We don't even know where to start. I suppose we should start with a man, an individual who may be talked about for many years to come, who signposted his era, or at least threw his hat into the ring of many names in a already stellar era, and that is one Shakur Stevenson, who captures a WBO Super Featherweight Championship with a spellbinding performance against Jamal Herring en route to a 10th round stoppage. We also had one of the fights of the year, the two middleweight foes, the two men vanquished by Adesanya early on in the year and last year. Marvin Vittori and Paolo Costa went to war with the Italian dream, Vittori getting his hand raised. We also had a war at glory, Rico Verhoeven in front of a home crowd, and in front of an even more raucous home crowd perhaps was Fedor Emelianenko with a first round knockout at Bellator. We're going to break it all down right now on episode 37 of Catchweight. So we'll start from the State Farm Arena in Atlanta where a fight admittedly flying under the radar considering the big fights it was flanked by in a stellar end of the year boxing schedule. Shakur Stevenson and Jamal Herring, a bit of bad blood, the former training partners, it did in hindsight prove to be just mind games from Shakur Stevenson to build the fight and what a performance it was from the young American, the 24 year old, one way traffic right from the jump, electric hand speed, superb ring IQ, he had some decent power as well of course he was able to stop Jamal Herring in a stop where the referee kind of mercifully stepped in it was very obvious by that point that Jamal Herring was beginning to get busted up a little bit and that Shakur Stevenson had just too much for him all Herring could bring to the table was toughness and it looked like that right from the start like I said Stevenson trying the jab looking so much quicker Jamal was more just prodding it out there whereas Stevenson was sharp and stinging he also landed some good one-twos down the pipe Herring was just struggling to find his range and Stevenson's confidence was increasing and increasing and you could see more than just jabbing as we've seen in some of the performances that were previously criticised Stevenson was happy to really commit to his shots now and he was already busting Herring up within the second and third round and by that time most people with the keen boxing eye would have realised that yep this is bad for Herring and Stevenson is en route to a dominant win here. Herrington did try and push forward, try and put Stevenson on the back foot, make it a bit ugly and rough him up inside. But Stevenson, even in then, after, you know, a couple of turbulent moments in the fourth round, was able to, you know, do more damage on the inside and land some brilliant uppercuts. He landed well to the body as well, some excellent hooks. The lead left hook in particular, pardon me, the lead right hook was particularly damaging. And sooner or later, it looked like Herring was just going to come unstuck. And he did, to be fair, in the in the tenth round where... He backed up, the referee stepped in, Heron was just taking too much punishment at that point. There was an argument that he could have stayed in it, but when, when the shots are coming through like that and you've got someone as, as battle-worn as Jamal Herring, what was the need for it? Stevenson did briefly lay off the pace in the middle rounds but it wasn't really a case of his cardio like many people had suspected he was struggling to get to the super featherweight limit those were the ramblings around Atlanta and the pre-fight buzz but it was nothing to do with that and it was more a case of him just taking his time because he still came on strong as was looking good turning it up knowing that Herring was wearing more and more damage and that the shots were getting through Stevenson was just spurred on by this and finished with a strong flurry in the late rounds and got the job done a huge huge feather in the cap of Stevenson to to fight a guy of the credibility and calibre of Herring and just completely outmatch him in all elements, not just a strength element, not just a skill, just to hold a complete package in the ring, um, the sport of 
boxing. It was just unbelievable from Stevenson. And this was a huge coming out party. We've seen the names like Javante Davis, like Ryan Garcia, Devin Haney, Tiafimo Lopez. But Shakur Stevenson is a guy around that weight category in that bracket that deserves the credibility and the recognition, if not more. And it is good to see him calling out Javante Davis because that will be a mouthwatering fight in the future if those two can align in one division and if politics does not get involved. But of course, we're looking at a top rank fighter and a showtime fighter. So there's a little chance of that happening perhaps in the near future. Something maybe we can look forward to um, closer to us would be Oscar Valdez against Shakur Stevenson. Oscar Valdez, of course, defending his title recently against Robson Constitchow in a fight that was marred by the pre-fight drug test results. Valdez tested positive for a prohibited substance, but still able to compete and defend his titles. Stevenson will be the favourite now, surely going into it. Valdez, of course, packs a lot of power. He is a warrior in the ring, but Stevenson, for the skill perspective, he could really box rings around him, and that is what makes Stevenson so exciting. He really has backed up the talk now with the credentials from the Olympics going into now. The world is the oyster of Shakur Stevenson, a stunning performance and a remarkable way to really burst onto the scene. Now he's won the world title before, but this time he took it off a world champion and it was emphatic, it was stupendous, it was scintillating, it was all the words you could describe from a masterful performance in the boxing ring. Shakur Stevenson is a name we're going to hear for a long time now. The rebuttals a lot of people had for the skill set of Stevenson was the calibre of the opponents he's faced, but when he went in there with someone as tough as seasoned and coming off such a win as Jamal Herring was, there is little to dispute just how good he is right now. And we're looking at a very, very exciting prospect. Can you even call him a prospect? This is his second world title now. The first one he's actually won from a champion. And he has the world at his oyster. There are so many different options to go. Top rank really do have some nuclear material on their hands right now. There was worries about Stevenson. Was he too safe? Would he play it safe? And would he always lose that luster? Perhaps skipping to the Floyd Money Mayweather part of his career before the Pretty Boy phase, which got Mayweather all that clout in the first place. Stevenson clearly was not about that. That one performance where he, where he underwhelmed was written off completely with that, the night he stepped in there with Herring because he was just able to get the job done, just pour on the pressure and finish it. When you have those skills and you can go on to finish a fight and overwhelm someone, the power is there as well now. Stevenson, his power was very deceptive and perhaps mythical at times, but... Herring have felt it, and Herring has felt a lot of hard shots in his career. So congratulations to Shakur Stevenson. A decent undercard as well, Xander Zayas, with another win. Um, brilliant performance from him again, I can say. They've got a step up the competition now. I think some very exciting things around the corner. Meanwhile, Nico Ali Walsh, the grandson of the late, great Muhammad Ali. And we also had Evander Holyfield's son also on the card. Both of them picking up wins, top rank, looking to push through those stars on a Saturday night where that was really the big story in the boxing world. And now moving on to one of the craziest Saturday primetime slots I've ever witnessed in my life as a combat sports fan. We had the return of Fedor Emelianenko to his homeland of Russia. We saw Vika Verhoeven selling out another stadium in glory kickboxing. And then we saw one of the most hotly anticipated fight night main events of the year between Marvin Vittori and Paolo Costa. So much went on, but there was pretty much memories and statement-making performances in each of those. And we'll start with the UFC card that saw Marvin Vittori pick up a thrilling unanimous decision win against Paolo Costa. I think the fight really did hinge on a second-round controversial point deduction from Jason Herzog, which was a point deduction maybe we should see a little bit more when we have excessive eye pokes. Jason Herzog warned the Brazilian of eye pokes at the end of the first round. Costa proceeded to poke his opponent in the eye in the second round and got deducted a point, which ultimately cost him the fight. This was two fighters who had been vanquished by Alessandro in their quest for middleweight glory, pedal to the metal, 
throwing everything they could at each other, bar the kitchen sink, maybe even the kitchen sink, but the rock-solid chin, that impenetrable dome, that is Marvin Vittori's skull, and Paolo Costa, a man who was extremely tired after the first round, but did not wither, did not waver, and refused to be knocked out by Marvin Vittori. Both fighters were ready to go well before the first bell. As soon as Costa got inside the octagon, the security had to break him up as he went straight to Vittori. Intensity right at the start. Costa looked very dangerous, especially the kicks to the legs and to the body were looking very fast and very powerful. He was packing a lot of power at 205 pounds, remember. This fight really did catch fire when Paolo Costa admitted to having weight cut issues during fight week, taking this from a 185-pound middleweight bout to a 205-pound light heavyweight bout. Vittori was willing to throw caution to the wind at some points, though, willing to get into the pocket very early on in the fight when Costa was fresh as well. As I touched on before, in the later minutes of that first round, Paolo Costa really did begin to tire. His shoulders were beginning to slump. He was looking extremely out of it. And Marvin Vittori appeared to have easy pickings for the rest of the fight. That would not be the case at all. Costa continued to come with the pressure and the volume. Cracked Vittori with a huge head kick. Continued to dig to the body as well. Some great body work. Vittori himself has an engine that few people can match. Besides probably the champion and the very, very upper echelon of the 185-pound division. But Vittori was coming forward, meeting... Costa with his own power. Vittori, of course, didn't have that power to really back Costa up and hurt him in particular, whereas Costa did, of course, have that, and Vittori did have more caution as the fight progressed. Vittori did get a takedown for a brief moment. Costa was able to pop back up. That was something I expected more from Marvin Vittori. I think he could have made this a lot easier, but I think the animosity, maybe even the ego side of things, Vittori perhaps wanted to prove a point after being beaten so comprehensively by the champion in the summer that he does have striking credentials, that he is a fully well-rounded mixed martial artist, which is why he took it to Costa on the feet. Obviously, the critical moment came when Costa threw a head kick and in doing so had his palms and his fingers outstretched, landing one in the eye of Vittori, who was able to continue. Of course, there was little doubt that Vittori was going to find an easy way out from there. Vittori controlled the centre through the third round. Costa was still fading, throwing a lot of attacks, but it was a similar, similar stuff from Vittori, which Costa was unable to really figure out until probably later on in the fight. Vittori would double up in the jab and then come over the top with a straight left and occasionally dig to the body. But there were a lot of just scoring shots at this point. Vittori was you know, well aware that he wasn't probably going to get Costa out of there and just had to score and just land some stuff on him throughout the fight at a consistent pace, which he managed to do. Costa went for a takedown. Vittori um, ended up on top. And I think Costa kind of made a big strategical error in the third round to, to go for the takedown, try and take it down to the ground. That surrendered another important round for Paolo Costa. Through the championship rounds, Costa was able to somehow make it. They came forward. It was still a toss-up at that point, I thought, especially in the latter minutes of the fight itself. Costa really did put the pressure on, landed some great shots to Vittori, but Vittori was never really wobbled. He ate them all on the chin and continued to come forward and was able to see it out to the end of the fight. The judges were all in agreement, scoring it 48-46 to 46 in favour of Vittori, scoring two rounds to Costa, three rounds to Vittori, and, of course, that point deduction on the round, Costa won ultimately ended up making it 48-46 for Vittori. A close fight, a great effort from both men. Paolo Costa had a lot of opportunities to push forward in that fight and perhaps it was his lack of conditioning or maybe it's just how he's built. He carries a lot of muscle on him and that's probably not going to reduce anytime soon with the fact that he's most likely going to continue to campaign at the light heavyweight division from now. As for Vittori, he has knocked off a huge contender, a huge scalp on his resume and now maybe he could sit back and wait for Whitaker and Adesanya to go for it or maybe even have a look at that Brunson and Cannonier fight because he is very well up there still at the highest pecking order of this division especially at such a young age still he was 
did join the UFC very early in his career. He still has a lot of room for growth. And if he can really pick up those those minor things and use that incredible gas tank and the output like he did against Costa. He was intelligent enough not, not to just try and knock Costa out after a certain amount of time. He did try and strike with him. Perhaps it would have been better to take him down in that fifth round because Costa deserves a ton of credit for going out and winning that fifth round when you could look at the state he was in in that first round for him to go out, push the pace and really have the impetus to go on and finish the fight. That is brilliant and that's why Costa is a fan favourite even if his stock has dramatically been uh, slashed after the weight cut um, saga during this fight week. There wasn't particularly much to write home about in terms of the undercard and the prelims. A good win for Mason Jones, a Brit finally on the win column in his UFC tenure. A big win for Jeffrey Molina, who is one of my favourite prospects in the flyweight division. We all remember his electric UFC career on the early prelims for that wild night at UFC 261 in Jacksonville when the Octagon finally welcomed back fans. Jai Herbert, Birmingham's own, the former Cage Warriors champion, gets a massive first round knockout and a post-fight interview that not many people outside the UK will understand but many people inside of it will be replaying for a long time as he said hold that hold that karma worthy and of course who can forget Bruce Leroy himself Alex Aceres with a second round submission over Sungwoo Choi and this is a guy who is turning it around now it's been an eternity that he's been in the UFC for still very young and with a big win here over the South Korean Choi so all the way on the other side of the globe Happening in Moscow, Russia, the last emperor, Fedor Emelianenko, sparks out Tim Johnson in the first round to set the roof off the place on a night he may never forget. And if that is how it ends for Fedor, then what a way to do it. Knocking out a solid contender in Tim Johnson in front of a home crowd. Fedor caught him with a peach of a shot. Johnson went down and Fedor, like the true martial artist himself, he's been in there with the most brutal rule sets and the most brutal opponents of them all from pride to strike force and everything else in between rising as well of course here he was Fedor walking off as Tim Johnson was in no state to continue and that was all she wrote and then of course who can forget the epic trilogy fight the glory kickboxing event between Rika Verhoeven and Jamal Ben Sadiq the king of kickboxing Netherlands own Rico Verhoeven with a stunning fourth round stoppage coming off of the canvas not once but twice with a ghastly cut over on his cheek as well but he's able to pour it on Ben Sadiq, fight back and rally and to keep his win streak alive as the king of the glory heavyweight division. Rico Verhoeven is a guy that is bringing so many more eyes to the sport of kickboxing. What an atmosphere it was. He's selling out stadiums in the Netherlands anytime he fights. This is a guy that really could go and continue to raise the profile of kickboxing. I mean, I don't tune into kickboxing that frequently, but I did to see this Rico Verhoeven fight, and I'm glad I did. Rico went through it all again, but just has an incredible will and incredible toughness that I think few people can ever match. There is just something wired inside him where he will just simply not give up to any punishment he was hurt extremely badly in that fight but just came forward and ultimately he broke Jamal Ben Sadiq's spirit that is what he does and that is how he has prevailed and settled this trilogy once and for all I could ramble on about these fights all day but the problem is we have even more coming our way and it starts this weekend we have UFC 267 live in Abu Dhabi if you're watching in the USA it's an early start time but guess what it's free it's on ESPN plus meanwhile in the UK it's a 7 p.m. main card start time a huge main event we'll see the light heavyweight gold hang in the balance when Jan Blachowicz Polish power looks to make the second defense of his 205 pound strap against 42 year old Glover Teixeira looking to finally capture UFC gold in what could be his ride into the sunset his very last professional 
international fight. Will he do it in Abu Dhabi? We'll find out, but not before Corey Sandhagen and Peter Yan fight for the interim to bantamweight title in what could be a cracker of a fight. It is a striking, in fact, it's a stylistic dream matchup for MMA fans around the world. Let's not forget also Islam Makachev perhaps against his toughest test today against Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker on a quick turnaround after fighting at UFC 267. Sorry, UFC 266 is back already and the return of Boaz Hanzat Chemaev also on the card. It's a good job we have another episode to break down this card because there is going to be a lot to talk about in that show. And we have a Dillian White card that Dillian White is not fighting on. Let's quickly address that. Dillian White ruled out with a shoulder injury against Otto Wallin. A lot of the boxing fans were quick to jump on him, saying he's just trying to avoid the very tough Wallin, who gave Fury one of the toughest fights of his career that bloody night on Kinko de Mayo weekend. Sorry, Mexican Independence Day weekend, where the, the Fury gash was moments away from being stopped. Wallin was fighting like a dog in there, and here he was ready to take, take on Dillian White in the O2, but Dillian White has sustained a shoulder injury, and now it appears that Eddie Hearn, Matchroom, and the team White will pursue a mega fight with Tyson Fury. you got to feel hard done by for Otto Wallin, but this is a golden opportunity for Dillian White. You can't blame him for just going straight for Fury. Look what happened when he continued to defer that title shot and wait patiently in the wings for the likes of Joshua or Wilder to emerge. He got knocked out cold by Alexander Povetkin. He was able to avenge that defeat, but a loss to Wallin could have been catastrophic. And if he wasn't feeling 100%, if he was injured, what's the need to go back in there if the Tyson Fury fight is waiting for him? That will be a mega fight. There's so much going on in the world of combat sports and that is what we are here to talk about and we're going to break it all down over the next few weeks. Stay tuned for the UFC 267 preview show that will be dropping shortly and we'll see you very soon. Thank you very much for listening.